Well, last week I, I, um, I drew our attention to two words, and uh, some may not like the words I chose, but the fact that there are ordinary things, and then there are extraordinary things, and, and oftentimes we neglect the ordinary for the sake of the extraordinary, and um, just wanted to remind us last week that most of where God works in our lives is in the ordinary things, and going into 2015, to be reminded that it's your ordinary call of life that God is going to work, and do not disparage it, do not neglect it. Another area where we often get imbalanced in our thinking, um, in which I think actually we've been infected by our culture, is that need for, or should I say demand for, immediate results. Uh, we live in a, in a culture that, that, that pressures us and makes us feel like, and make us want things right away. Technology hasn't helped in that respect. You remember the days when you wanted to rent a video movie, what you had to do? And I, I realize I'm dating myself and probably everybody else here. But I remember deciding, hey, let's watch a video movie tonight. And you have to get in the car and drive to 49er Video. That was the video store in my town. There were only two of them. Uh, Blockbuster or Hollywood Video probably was Fairfield's choice. Uh, but you had to go and, and, and go to the store and then you'd peruse the aisles trying to figure out what do I want to watch probably take a half hour. And then after that, finally you chose one, you went up and got in line, waited to the front of the line, then you paid for that video, then you went back to your house, and if the person was kind to rewind, well, then you could shove in your movie and, and boom, there it is. I mean, when you think about it from present day perspective, that, that, that's a lot of work. Now it's just, it's, you know, I don't know what it is at your house, it could be just a mouse, it's like click, click, scroll, scroll, click to buy, Boom, three minutes, and Planet of the Apes is playing. <laughs> That's pretty amazing, and it's pretty instantaneous, and yet most of us aren't wowed by that anymore. Uh, this last week, I bought a book on Kindle and um, Amazon. One click to buy. Boom. Within one minute, it was on my Kindle. There used to be a day when I was like, wow, this is, I got a book in three seconds instantaneous result and and uh, now it's just it's not all that amazing anymore if you have to wait longer than two minutes for your book to appear you kind of get impatient like where is it like synchronize 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 i want my book right now that's just the truth like that's that's where technology is and um for those of you who work in the business world or not even just in the business world but the relationship aspect of things there's a pressure for results um a pressure to uh, produce immediate results. Oftentimes in our relationships, whether at family relationships or marriage, there's that sense of, well, we're struggling as a couple, so we're going to go to the pastor and we're going to get some counseling. And somehow in that counseling moment, I know he's going to wave this special wand over our marriage. And in a moment, there's going to be just like Kindle. It's just going to be, boom, all better. Immediate results. And then there's devastation afterwards when you realize, wow, there's hard work involved. Um, so that, that particular mindset uh, and a cultural infection of that, that need for or the demand for immediate results is something that hinders our Christian perspective. Because we bring it into the Christian life and we think, well, growth personally, growth in, in, in maturity or the fruitfulness of, of a ministry life, of giving your life in service to Christ wherever he has you in your ordinary uh, path, um, should be immediate. And when it's not immediate, well, discouragement can set in. People can easily just abandon ship and say, well, it didn't work, so let's leave it. And that is, in 
um, not just my opinion, but the opinion of many to be um, a hindrance to us, a hindrance in our perspective that, that things must be, um, have immediate results. And one writer who, who wrote this, um, or addressed this particular issue that I've come to respect, and most of you will know his name, Eugene Peterson, author of The Message and the scores of books. He's a pastor, scholar, poet, and author. Um, he wrote this book years ago and then updated it back in 2000 and addressed this very thing. Um, and he, he, I love the title of the book. The title of the book actually is, uh, well, I took the title of my message from it, um, uh, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And then the subtitle is Discipleship in an Instantaneous Society. How do you form disciples in an instantaneous society? And he, he wrote this. This was his concern. This is, this is what he saw as a massive hindrance to the church. He says, one aspect of the world that I've been able to identify, and this guy is like an, a sage now, um, that I've been able to identify as harmful to Christians is the assumption that anything worthwhile can be acquired at once. We assume that if something can be done at all, it can be done quickly and efficiently. That's one of the working assumptions that he sees is a, is a major harmful thing. The assumption that we can have it quickly um, and efficiently if it can be done. He goes on to say, there is a great market for religious experience in our, in our world. And, you know, just to pause there for a moment, that, that I think is probably one of the great cravings of, of Christians today is the craving of experience, um, religious experience. And, 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 and I think it's possible to, to chase after experience and not the God that gives us the experience as a side effect of meeting with him. Uh, chasing experience. There's a market, a great market for religious experience in our world, and I think that's true. Um, there is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. Little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. John Stott said something similar when he said that, you know, the fruit of a Christian life isn't that much different than the fruit in nature, and that is, um, you don't get apple apples from an apple tree after you plant the seed. Sometimes it takes, it's long, nurturing, but the fruit does come. And that's his point. That's, that's the concern is for the, the, um, the demand for or the need to see instant results in life and in your life, maybe even your marriage and your family. Well, Jesus gives us a parable that relates to this issue, a parable that many of you know, the parable of the sower and the seeds. Uh, found in Luke chapter, I'm going to look at Luke's version, Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. And in it, we find that Jesus uh, deals with our external perspective versus what's real. Um, superficial responses versus truly deep transformative responses and what it takes. The first part of the parable, my, my, yeah, there it goes. first part of the parable goes like this. Beginning in verse 1. It says, Soon afterward, he went on through the cities and villages. That's Jesus went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him. Then I, I skip verses 2 and 3. Um, but I want you to simply notice that he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And here's the effect. Verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, this is a, a story with a cryptic, somewhat cryptic message intended to penetrate. 
A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell among the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up, and it choked it. And some fell into good soil, and it grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he said these things, as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And as you can tell from verse 4, from all outward appearances, Jesus was successful. I mean, he's preaching his gospel of the kingdom, and it says that a great crowd, not just a crowd, but a great crowd had gathered around him from town after town after town. From all outward appearances, you would have judged Jesus' ministry at this point to be massively successful. They're, they're all thronging after him. They're listening to his message. It would look like, wow, there's a revival on the scene. Israel's coming to life, embracing her Messiah. Well, Jesus, unlike the world in which we live, which makes judgments based on external, obvious signs of size or numerical numbers, he sees better than that. He knows that merely observable success doesn't mean eternal success. And so he, he delivers this parable, a parable that's intended to show the difference between that which is merely outwardly obvious versus that which is substantive and real. Um, that which is a superficial response versus that which is an enduring, life-changing, life-transforming response. And that's what the parable does, right? I mean, it's pretty easy to picture. It's not, it's not, it's not complex. This, here's a sower or a farmer, if that's easier for you to imagine, you know, sowing his, his seeds. Um, some fall on the hardened path where people walk, a lot of dense soil there where people you know, step. Um, some fall there. Some fall uh, in, in rocky soil with no, no, um, no depth for roots to grow. Other seeds fall amongst thorn bushes. And then some seeds manage to find their way into some good, rich, fertile, wading soil. Like, that's, that's, that's obviously the picture. Thankfully, he gives us an interpretation of it. Um, for sake of time, let me just jump right to the interpretation. This is his interpretation. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. That's the gospel of the kingdom. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. It's category group one. Response number one. Thirteen. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. There's this initial response. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. Verse 14, that's group number two. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are these, those who hear. But as they go in their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. It never gets to a place where it actually replicates itself. As for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Obviously, Jesus is talking about four different responses to the gospel of the kingdom. Four very different responses. Um, now, just to be clear, the gospel of the kingdom is, is uh, the proclamation that Jesus made when he said, listen, the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, the life-giving reign of God has broken into this world to bring life 
to bring forgiveness, to bring restoration, to bring reconciliation, to bring redemption, all of those good things, to bring heaven and earth back together again, God our Father back together with his sons. The gospel of the kingdom, God, is, God reigns, his reign, his life-giving, good, peaceable, shalom reign is, is here. That's the message of the kingdom. But at this point in the gospel of Luke chapter 8, the disciples wouldn't have fully understood what the gospel of the kingdom meant. What they wouldn't have understood, they understood that it was a time of deliverance and a time of God establishing his rule. What they didn't understand is how he would do it. That isn't something they could understand until after Easter morning, in which they recognized that for God to break in, his reign to break into this world in a way that it would actually make us citizens and not judge us and damn us, he had to lay a, a foundation for his kingdom, which, as you know, um, was laid at the atoning work on the cross where he made it possible for us to be forgiven completely, pardoned, and the new creation resurrection, that is newness of life that he would just unleash on our souls and ultimately over the whole universe. That is the foundation stone of his kingdom. And apart from that, as, as you know, if God's kingdom was to come and there was no foundation stone of, of forgiveness and atonement and substitutionary giving his life in place of ours, then all we could expect of the Lord is his judgment. It would be a, a day of, of great destruction. So when he comes and proclaims this, this, this gospel of the kingdom, at the very center of it is a work that makes it possible for us to actually be fit and acceptable and forgiven members of his kingdom. That is the gospel of the kingdom. Focused on Jesus, made possible by his work, and someday brought to fruition or completion at his return. That's the gospel of the kingdom. And that's what he's preaching, right? That's what he's preaching, and there's different people who respond in different ways. And amongst this great crowd from all of the different towns, there's these different responses. The first response is no response at all. It just falls, the seed falls on the hardened ground. There's no life. There's no germination. It just simply gets plucked away. There's no response. Naturally, there are people in that crowd who didn't truly respond from the heart, just as there is today. People who will hear a message about who Christ is, what he's done for us, and, and what our future holds for us, and it just bounces off like a, like a bullet off a of granite. That's, that's category one. No receptivity at all, at all. Category two, there is a response. And there's this response of joy. There's this sense of growth. And probably at some level instantaneous. Wow, this is great. We love it when people respond that way. You know, this is great. I believe this truth. But as Jesus says in, 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 in the interpretation of the parable, you know, there, there's, no, there's, no, there's, there's no deep soil there, and so the roots don't go down very far. So as soon as the sun comes out, or as soon as there's times of affliction, adversity, and difficulty, well, then the leaves dry out and the thing dies. Side note, by the way, I don't think this parable was intended to answer the question of can you lose your salvation or not. That's just not the purpose of the parable. You can go look other places that address that issue directly. That's not the point of the parable. That's category number two. And we see people like that all around. You know, they, there's this immediate response to the gospel. There's a sense of joy to it that Christ has come and he has delivered me. But then the adversity, adversities of life come along. And pretty soon they're no longer attending church. They're no longer believing. They're just, they've, they've withered. Category number three, slightly different. There's also, this one isn't a problem with rooting. It's a, it's a problem with context. And that is... Um, amongst the thorns and they grow and there's there's a sense that the fruit is just starting to bud and and then because of the cares and pleasures and wealth some of the greatest 
things that the world wants and falls in love with and lives for, chokes it and suffocates it. And that, too, is, 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 is all around us. It's so easy to fall so in love with the world that the, the kingdom of Christ and Jesus becomes faintly dim, no longer even registers in the heart because you've been choked out. In those first three categories, there, there are responses. Perhaps many, most of the great crowd gathered around that everybody would be so impressed by, the results were probably in categories one, two, and three. It's a response, but it's not an enduring response, and it's not a saving response. The only category, the only response that is the right and saving response is summed up in verse 15. And that is the response of the fourth type of soil, the good soil. Now here I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to switch hit on you. <laughs> and I'm going to shift from the ESV to the NIV because I think it's a little bit clearer. So indulge my shift of translations. The NIV reads this. And this is... This is where the true fruit is, and this is where the real success is, not in the observable mere numbers or in the instantaneous success of lots of crowds, but it's in the heart that really hears, and this is uh, how the NIV translates it. But the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. There are several features in this verse. It says five. It's supposed to say 15. Um, that make this a successful plant of a seed in terms of the soil that produces the crop. One of those things you'll notice is a noble and good heart. A noble and good heart. Or what I'm going to call here a receptive heart. The heart has to be receptive for the seed to go in and germinate. Now, at this point, I am going to draw your attention to a paradox, an important one. Because there's two sides to hearing the gospel. Jesus is very careful when people get it, like when they hear it and they understand it and they respond to it in a saving way, to remind them over and over and again that you're not the cause of getting it. The Holy Spirit is. Peter makes, you know, the great confession, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and Jesus is like, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. In other words, you didn't get it on your own. Someone else gave it to you. So there's, the, there's this reality that a, a true, noble, and good heart is a heart that's been prepared for by and given um, understanding by the Spirit himself. And Jesus alludes to this back in verse 10. Right in the middle of this parable, he reminds his disciples that this is a divine work of sovereign grace that's happening. Those who get it, those who hear and respond, are actually moved upon or, or given ears to hear by the Lord. He says to them, this is the same chapter, same section. He says, to you it has been given. It's a gift. To you, understanding has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. That tells us that, that when people, that, that noble, good heart that he's speaking of, that is a heart that has been prepared by the grace of God to receive it. So there is this divine grace involved in the opening of the human heart. Don't miss that. 
It's not like you can just say, oh, I'm just going to make my heart really soft right now. I'm going to, you know, till it up, and I'm going to make it noble and good. That's, that would be our work, and that's not a work that we really can do. It's just something that, that, that the Holy Spirit does in mixing up the soil of our heart and preparing us for it. But, now here's the other side of the paradox. The whole force of the parable is to get us to think about how we listen. In other words, we bear a personal responsibility for having ears to hear and hearts to understand and know and, and a heart that's prepared and receptive to, to receive the gospel. Uh, a responsibility that everyone in this room, including myself, has right here, right now. Right now, you're hearing some message, and the question is, are we receptive to it without justifying what the scripture or the gospel says so that I can somehow deviate in my life or, or redefine things so that I feel a little bit more comfortable. No, it's just a, a receptive heart. It's like, all right, Lord, what do you say? And I receive your word as from the mouth of the Almighty, the King, the Savior King. That's it's your word, and I want your word to penetrate. I want it to cause my heart to bow down. I want it to cause my heart to surrender in glad submission to you. That's that's, that's, that's our responsibility as we come, which is part of why preparation for worship is so important. So there's this receptive heart with those two aspects. If, if you get it, ultimately God gets the glory for that because the Holy Spirit did that in your heart. At the same time, there's a personal responsibility we have to be receptive. When we hear messages, when we read the scripture, when you listen to MP3 messages on, online. So that's, that's the first part. Is there, there's this receptive heart into which the gospel comes and begins to grow. Another facet of, of what he says here that makes the soil ripe for producing crop is that it retains it. Um, that is, there's this relentless grasp that's, uh, that's in the present or the durative sense. In other words, I, I, other translations say they hold fast to it. You know, but I just, I just, I picture in my mind um, probably the most loving, most endearing picture of a, of a mother holding her precious newborn baby to her chest and just keeping it there. Um, there's a reason why we hold fast to the gospel of the kingdom. It, 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 it's because it's beautiful, because it's priceless. It's infinitely wondrous. It's life-giving. It's encouraging. It's strengthening. It's preserving. It's it's, there's no way of articulating just how precious the gospel of the kingdom is to the heart of the believer. And one of the facets of the listening ear is that you don't let go of it. We make a huge mistake, and it's been said here before, but it needs to be said over and over and over again. We make a huge mistake when we think that we move on from the gospel in the way that we go from elementary school to high school or college. There is no moving on because there's no end to the depth of its wonder. It reveals the heart of almighty but loving God. It reveals who we are as a result of his work. It tells us how then we are to live in love to him who first loved us. I mean, it's beautiful. And why the soil that bears fruit continues to hold on to it over and over and over again. And to never to, to either move on or allow it to be something that's commonplace. But to be reminded in the everyday, ordinary affairs of life, at the beginning and the end of your day, my Savior King, he retrieved me from exile. My Savior King, 
He delivered me from my sin, and I don't have to be afraid of, of that final eternal consequences of it anymore because he's taken it away and he's nailed it to the cross so I don't have to live under the tyranny of my own sinfulness any longer. Or my Savior King has, has broken the chains of death and I don't have to fear dying anymore. I don't have to fear the death of the loved ones who know you. Therefore, I can, I can give the whole of my life. I can invest the whole of my life in the kingdom knowing that on the other side of death, it is multiplied so that everything I lose here is given back times infinity there. And so I can completely give my whole life to Jesus because I know he holds my life and my future in trust. That to remind yourself that um, my Savior King rules over the chaos of my life and over the chaos of our world. He rules over the crooked streets and the cul-de-sacs that we walk down. He rules over the craziness of our world. He rules over the pain. He rules over the death. And someday he's going to bring all of that to a glorious and final and just conclusion. And for in that I rejoice. That's, that's holding fast, retaining the gospel. And that is a heart that is going to bear fruit. That is a heart that's going to, to see God work in and through life. But then there's a third thing. And by the way, I hope, I just pause here. I hope that's you. I, I really hope, like, this isn't just going in one or out the other. It's just, I mean, I... I this is me. This is, this is Dan Decker. This is what I fight for. I'm not teaching it and not doing it. Like, I realize it's a struggle to get up every morning and just meditate on the gospel. But I need it so badly, and when I do, it's just, there's strength there. That's, it's the lifeblood. It's the vein. It's the, the heart of, of our relationship with God is to come back to it over and over again. And, and I know by my own experience that it works this way. And it's something we fight to do. Retain it. It close to the chest, not out here, and don't move on from it. And then there's a third thing in here. You notice? And by persevering, it's instrumental. By persevering, produce a crop. And that is a persevering life of faith in the gospel and following Jesus. By persevering, produce a crop. You know, perseverance implies several things. It implies time. If it doesn't need time, you don't have to persevere. It implies a resolve of will. And it implies a single direction. If it's not a single direction, and you go over here instead of here, there's no perseverance. So it's, it's time and resolve pushing forward in a single direction. Or as Eugene Peterson, quoting Nietzsche, said, it's a long obedience in the same direction. It's putting one foot in front of the other, not just in holding and retaining the gospel, but in then living that gospel out. A long obedience in the same direction. That is a resolve towards one direction over time that you're not going to deviate from. That's, that's perseverance. To continue going. And you notice it implies that the crop or the fruit or the result is not instantaneous. It's in, through, and after persevering. By perseverance, produce a crop. It means it's not going to happen all of a sudden. You don't get apples in a day or a week. 
If you plant the seed of an apple tree, it might be years before you ever see a piece of fruit, but it will come because it's an apple tree. You just have to wait for it. And that's, that's, that's the point. And yet, again, as I, as I mentioned, the culture is such an instantaneous culture that we get discouraged when we, it, it takes a little too long, whether it's a ministry or looking at your own life. Um, discouraged or, 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 or just become increasingly disinterested when it, something doesn't materialize. Rather than, you know what? Jesus has called me to the long haul. And knowing that as you take one step of faith after another step of faith, long term, the fruit is going to come by perseverance. And some of it you might not even see in your lifetime. I had a, I had a, a mentor once tell me that, and it was very wise, they said two things about fruitfulness. One is that your life will be fruitful if you're a follower of Jesus. But, here's the important but, he will hide most of the fruit from you because we're too susceptible to arrogance to, be, to see it. And the second is that much of the fruit will happen after you die. Uh, that's wise. Because if I'm looking for fruit right now, like instantaneous results, I'm going to be discouraged. But to know that he's going to produce fruit in everyone's life here who is a follower of his. He's going to produce fruit. You're just not going to necessarily see it because he's going to graciously hide it from you. And most of it, perhaps most of it, might be after you die. I was just reminded of Jesus' own life. I mean, the model of perseverance who made it through. You know, he had to go from, from, uh, some, from birth to cross. And he couldn't deviate from that. And he took one foot in front of the other, and he continued on his mission until he accomplished it. And you look at the flow of his popularity from the beginning of his ministry when the flocks of people were around him, the crowds were gathering from every town, and it looked like, wow, he's, he's on the rise. He's the Billy Graham of the first century. Only to find that when he makes it to the end of his life, to the point of his perseverance, his mission, there's just like a trickle. There's just a handful and by all outward appearances, a loser on human, in, in human history. Just, there's nothing to be gained. He died. And yet we know that he didn't die in vain. We know his perseverance was not in vain. He took one step after another to his death. And as a result, on the other side of his life, came squirrel. That's a pretty good example of of much of the fruit that comes from our lives happening even after, after we die. So, listen, the simple point of this is, there's no easy road forward. No, there's no shortcuts or quick fixes. Now, that doesn't mean God doesn't do sometimes some rather enormous things in a short period of time. Awakenings, revivals, are times in which it seems like God touches down in an extraordinary way that produces immediate results. But the fabric of life, what we're called to, is one step foot after the other. And rather than expecting or hoping that there's a quick fix that's going to relieve you from whatever pain it is you suffer, um, or on the other side, to to stay away from the temptations that would have you like fall headlong into a, a love affair with this world rather than with Christ, is just simply to take the long view and recognize that your life will be fruitful. But to take the long view and recognize that there is, there is fruitfulness at the end of a long obedience in the same direction. 
whether it's in your marriage or in your family or your ministry, the point isn't to do it just for a few minutes and hope that fireworks are going to go off. Set your, your, your gaze on the Lord. Hold gospel tightly, daily, because therein comes the power and the strength, not only to be saved, but to continue on and work out salvation. Knowing that God is going to produce fruit in your life, and don't be discouraged if it's not instantaneous. Most of the time, it never is. But that shouldn't keep you from putting one foot in front of the other and trusting the Lord day by day and night by night and continue that persevering track and not being discouraged when you don't see instantaneous results. Amen. I pray that you'll hear what the Spirit says to you in your own context of life. I'm going to pray for us and the worship team is going to come and we're going to worship and respond. Um, If you're here and you're like, you know, I'm having a tough time persevering in whatever it is. Um, or for any other reason, again, there are going to be people up here in the corners just pray for you and encourage you to, to make use of that. If you feel like, man, I need strength, for crying out loud, have somebody pray for you and just come forward. And um, we'd love to pray for you. Father, in this time of, of response to your word, I pray for grace and I pray for courage. I pray for honesty. I pray for um, a realignment of our our vision and our focus, Um, not short-term, but long-term, not even just this life, but also the life to come. Grant us in these moments of response um, a time of honest communion with you when you do your work. In Jesus' name.